All right, well, thank you for being here today. Um, we'll go ahead and uh, get started with a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll jump in. All right? Father, we are so grateful for this opportunity at this conference to come together to hear about what you're doing around the world and, and the part that you would have for us to play. Please open our eyes as we spend these next few days um, with hearts of learners. And Lord, during this conference, during this hour, Lord, I ask that uh, you would challenge people, um, not by the things that I say, but, but through the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, five principles, and I think there's, there's a few different ways to say this. Five principles for long-term sustainability, even on a short-term trip, or five principles for empowering on short-term mission trips. My goal today is that you will leave with a better understanding of how to do missions better. Maybe it's one of the things that I say. Maybe it's something that, you know, in your mind you take something that I say and it's something a little bit different. But that would be my goal and my hope. So today we're going to be talking about a little bit of my background. Because my background is what really led to these principles. Then we'll talk about the mission that God has given to all of us as Christ followers, and then we'll get into the five principles. So, um, this is my family. You know, a lot of people ask me, so Jamie, you travel a lot. Why? And I show them this picture and they kind of understand. Um, the other male in the picture is my son-in-law. Um, his wife, my daughter, is standing next to him. My wife is in kind of the, she's the shortest one in the picture. Um, so we have six daughters uh, and two female dogs just to, you know, have fun. These are my parents. Uh, many of you may know um, our family story or the, the story that God has been writing with our family. This is my dad, Steve, and my mom, Jenny. Mm. And my mom is um, kind of the glue that holds all of us together. And when she reads a book, especially a suspenseful book, she'll read the first chapter, and then she skips all the way to the back and reads the last chapter. That way she doesn't have to worry how the story ends. She knows how the story ends. And you know, as we are at this medical missions conference, that's really something as, as you, many of you being young people, as you're trying to figure out what part does God have for me? We can totally give Him our story and allow Him to write it because the end has already been written. We already know how the story ends. And we know that God wins. And so that's something that I love about my mom. My dad actually um, has spoken here well, the last time was 10 years ago, but before that. And he's actually on his way up right now, and will be here tomorrow. Um, these are my grandparents, Nate and Marge Sane. Um, some of you may know the story. 
It's written in books like Three Gates of Splendor, Jungle Pilot, and the and End of the Spear. There's been movies and books and all of those things. I want to tell you just a little bit of that story because that story really led to the ministry that we lead today and ultimately to these five principles. How many of you have seen the movie, read the book, or any of the books? How many of you have never heard of this story? It's okay. Raise your hands high. Sorry. Everybody, nobody over here has not heard it? Some of you have. Okay. I'm going to give you just a snippet of that story. Um, it's a very well-known story, other than by those who don't know it. Um, so my grandfather, uh, Nate Saint, was a jungle missionary pilot, flying in support of missionaries down in the Amazon rainforest of Ecuador, South America. During, while, during the time that he was flying, and this is like very broad over, overview, where he was flying, there was one group of people that were known in that area as just unfriendly, violent, like nobody goes into their territory that comes out alive. But to understand the story I'm going to tell you, you need to understand those people. Now, my grandfather was one of the, the five men that went in along with Jim Elliott, Roger Darian, Pete Fleming, and Ed McCulley. But this people group, then known as the Alcas, today known as the Waudani, and a lot of people butcher that name, so we're going to just have a little interactive time for just a moment. So I want you to, to think that you have a friend named Donnie. Say Donnie. And Donnie does something amazing, and you say, Wow, Donnie. Yeah, so that's the tribal name. So this people group was an egalitarian society, meaning there was no hierarchy, no laws, no rules, no... Everybody does whatever they want to do. But there did become four unwritten rules that everybody lived by. Rule number one, if somebody does something that offends you, ignore it. Rule number two... If somebody does something that offends you and you can't ignore it, kill them. Rule number three. Um, if somebody offends you or somebody kills somebody in your family group, it's not only your right, it's your obligation to kill somebody in their family group. And finally, rule number four. If, whether you've been offended or to avenge a death in your family group, you're going to kill somebody in another family group, take your whole family group with you, kill the whole other family group, that way there's nobody left to come kill you or your family. They were a society of death. 60% homicide rate inside the tribe. Anthropologists who have studied this tribe have have called them the most violent society to have ever existed on this planet that's been studied. But my grandfather knew what the Bible says is true. In Revelation chapter 7, also in chapter 5, it says that at the end of time, that there will be people from every tribe, every nation, every kindred, every tongue, before God's throne giving Him praise. 
And he said, that includes this, fam- this, this tribe. But he knew that they were not going to hear unless somebody goes because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Romans 10. So for 13 weeks at the end of 1955, my grandfather began giving them gifts from his airplane in what's known, what we call the bucket drop. Watch the movie Under the Sphere in order to see what the bucket drop is. Um, and then finally, around Christmas time of 1955, my grandfather said it's time. Now my grandfather was the oldest member of these five guys that were going in. He was 32 years old. The youngest, Pete Fleming, was 27. These are young men. But in the book, End of the Sphere, uh, my grandfather wrote in his journals and read at Christmas, As we have a high old time this Christmas, may we who know Christ hear the cry of the damned as they hurtle headlong into the Christless night without ever a chance. Would that we could comprehend the lot of these Stone Age people who live in mortal fear of ambush on the jungle trail. Those to whom the bark of a gun means sudden, mysterious death. Those who think all men in all the world are killers like themselves. If God would grant us the vision, the word sacrifice would disappear from our lips and thoughts. Our lives would suddenly be too short. We would hate the things that seem now so dear to us. We would despise time-robbing distractions and charge the enemy with all our energies in the name of Christ. May God help us to judge ourselves by the eternities that separate the Alcas from a comprehension of Christmas and Him who though He was rich yet for our sakes became poor so that we might through his poverty be made rich. Well, as some of you know, um, they had a friendly contact on January 6th. My grandfather had found a beach to land on, on the edge of the Iwanguno or Kudadai River. And after two days of being there on the beach, after the friendly contact, the tribe came and speared my grandfather and his, five, and his four friends to death. But you see, when God writes a story, He doesn't always write the story in just one chapter of the story. The next chapter began two years later when my great-aunt Rachel, who had been living with one of the members of the tribe, a young lady who had fled from the killings years before, had been living, had led, left out um, the jungles and was living with my great-aunt. So Elizabeth Elliot and my great-aunt Rachel moved in to live with the tribe in 1958. Two years after that, my dad went in for the first time. He was about nine years old. A short time after living in the jungles, Minkai, the man who killed my grandfather, went to him. Rachel and said, Nemo, how can Baba not know anything? How can he not know how to live? being already his age. At nine years old, he was about as tall as the tallest members of the tribe. When Rachel turned back to him and said, Minkai, you haven't killed his father. Who do you say should teach him how to live? And Minkai had to go and think about that because if you remember those four unwritten rules, 
if Minkai teaches my dad how to hunt and how to track, how to use a blowgun and how to use a spear, he's really giving him the tools and the training necessary to come and kill members of Minkai's family to avenge his dad's death. That afternoon, Minkai came back. He said, it's true. Having Spear killed his father, I myself will teach him how to live. But through a series of events that you can read the book, I'm not going to tell you, it was really the, the Minkaya adopted my dad as his own son. In 1994, Aunt Rachel died of cancer and was buried out in Tonya Bade where with the people that she had lived the last half of her life with. My dad went down for the funeral, and after the funeral, the people told him that now our family, who had been down there many times, that we needed to go down and live with them. So in 1995, two weeks after I graduated high school, we moved down to live in the Amazon rainforest, 60 miles out from the nearest community. And we got there and we said, okay, what do you want us to do with for you? And, you know, they said, we don't want you to do anything. But we figured, I mean, missionaries, they do things, right? And they said, we want you to teach us what foreigners know how to do. I said, like, what is that? They said, foreigners always come and they take care of our medical problems. They come and they take care of our dental problems. They even will come and they'll fly us out if there's an emergency. But they said there's two problems. Problem number one, they only come when it's convenient for them, not when we have a problem. Problem number two, when they come, they can only meet a physical need. But our people have a bigger need. They have a spiritual need. They said, if you will teach us how to do what foreigners know how to do, we will not only be here when there's a problem, but as we take care of their physical need, we'll tell them how Jesus can fix our heart. That sounds good, but how do you do that? But living with the Waudani gave us a different perspective on missions. We began to see missions from the receiver's point of view, not the Westerner's point of view. And that changed everything for us. But you have to realize those problems. And I would, I would tell you that that is what a lot of people around the world, in developing world contexts, that's what they are feeling. Missions is being done to them and not allowing them to participate. The Waudani, they wanted to participate because they said, if what you say, God's carvings, if they are true, doesn't it mean that all Christ followers should be participating? in what we call the Great Commission. They said, but nobody has ever allowed us to, to participate. But in order to, to understand what the Great Commission is, um, I have a little example that I'm going to share with you. I do this every time. If you remember nothing else, this will stick with you. Now, before I do that, 
Um, there was a recent Barna study. It was actually in Mission Frontiers magazine, the 2019 November-December issue. And it was a study to people that go to church every week. And it asked this question. Have you ever heard the Great Commission? And then it had a follow-up question. If you answer yes, do you understand what it means? 51% of the people that responded to that survey, again, churchgoers, not Eastern Christmas, every week, 51% said no, they had never heard the Great Commission. Only 17% said yes and knew what it meant. I understand we're at a medical missions conference. I've been here for a lot of years. You probably would be the exception, but I want to do a little illustration that will make the Great Commission more clear and how we can, as Christ followers, as disciples, complete the Great Commission. Can we do that? Well, I get the microphone, so we're going to do it anyway. I need three volunteers. And if you don't volunteer, I'll volunteer. Scott, thank you. Please come up. Two more. Joel, thank you very much. All the way in the back of the room. All right, now I need a, a lady. Yes, thank you very much. All right, Scott, what we're going to do, and I'm uh, stay right there, Joel. Scott, if you will, I can't move, but if you step just about a step there, right there, face that way, Joel, you face that way. You are going to be our Vanna White. Now, for many of you younger people, Vanna White, look it up. There's YouTube videos. There's a lot of stuff. All right. You do not have to read anything. So I'm just going to take a little bit of this. If you would just take this in that hand, and you're going to walk around these guys, Joel and Scott, when she walks around you, you're going to grab onto the tape to give some tension. All right? Turn it the other way. There you go. Right like that. All right. So this is a 300-foot tape. And this 300 feet, today in the world, the population is about... 7.8 billion people. You with me so far? Of that, about 3.2 billion. Keep on going. Right here. Right this way. About 3.2 billion have never heard the name of Jesus. Are you still with me? It's about to get a little bit more complicated because we're going to do rounding. So, we're going to round down to 3 billion people, which... The Great Commission says, as you are going, make disciples. That's everywhere. That's While you're at this college, that's everywhere. But we're going to use this to picture the Great Commission being all of those who have never heard. Still with me. So this 300-foot tape is going to represent the 3 billion people who have never heard. Okay? You're doing great. What's your name? Carrie. Carrie. If it was Van, I was going to drop dead. <laughs> so as Carrie keeps on going, 
Again, 300 feet is going to equal 3 million. Okay. Now, I do this tape because we all understand 300 feet. Right? It's, it's something that our mind knows. I'm not sure when the last time you looked in your bank account, but when I look in mine, I don't understand 3 billion. And run a medical missions conference, and yeah, none of us do, right? So, the 300 feet equals 3 billion. So, the 3 billion with the tape is going to, in this case, is going to represent the Great Commission. Still with me? I'm trying to, you finished? Alright. So, I'm going to just set that right here. Gentlemen, you stay where you are. If you can find your way to your seat with all this. You can? Scott and Joel, if you'll just hold that up a little bit higher so everybody, even in the back, can see it. Okay. You guys see this, right? 300 feet equals 3 billion people. You're wondering where I'm going. Here we go. Y'all can set that down right where you are. Okay. Here's where we get a little bit more math. I want you to take out your phone. Open it to your calculator. But don't put... If you have an iPhone, don't do anything now. If you have an Android, you better start now. So it'll... <laughs> sorry. It is true, but sorry. Okay. So today in the world, and we're going to use round numbers, these come from the book, The Great Omission, which is the heartbeat of our ministry. So this is... Um, telling the story from 1956 to 1995 with us living with the Raudani. This book is what we learned from living with the Raudani. Alright? Now, I'll tell you this right now. If you go to our booth, which is on this floor in the back far corner, it says iTech. If you go to our booth and you would like one of these books, they are yours for free for coming to the session. However, if you take them you, yeah, for free, you need to read them. If you're not going to read them, then either don't take them or you leave money with Chris or Rebecca or somebody at the booth. But you came, so they are free for you. Alright? As long as you read them. Now, from the Great Omission comes this illustration. And we're going to use round numbers. I'll give you a little bit more specifics later. You guys can sit down. You're great. Sorry. Very studious, though, of you. (laughs) So today in the world, there's approximately 100,000 long-term foreign evangelical missionaries. Okay? On this scale, with 300 feet equals 3 billion people, that equals about one-eighth of an inch. Okay? That is our missionary force. Now, if each one of those 100,000 long-term foreign evangelical missionaries each reach 500 people with the gospel, okay? On this scale, again, 300 feet plus 3 billion people, we get to 5 feet. Now, 500, reaching 500 people in some places would be possible in a lifetime. But in some places it would be impossible. But if this 
Let's say we do this. If we do this, one of two things is the case. Either Jesus to his disciples gave them a task that he knew was impossible. Or, we're not doing God's will God's way. Let's do the math a little bit differently. But I'll tell you this. I have six daughters. I have never told one of them, ever, to do something that was impossible. They think that I have. Clean your room. They think it's impossible. It's not. Right? But I've never told them to do something that I knew they could not do. Let's do the math a little bit differently. We take the 100,000 long-term foreign evangelical missionaries, and each one of them makes 60 indigenous disciples. And then this is where you need your calculator. 100,000 times, that's the little x, Android users, times 60, and then each one of those 60 reaches 500. So that's times 500. Do you know what we get? We get to 3 billion people. If we, as Christ followers, do God's will God's way, He didn't say go and just share the gospel everywhere. He said go, make disciples. But so often, we need to feel significant We need to be needed. And so we go and we stay and we try to do everything for everyone. Forever. But if we will go, the best people to share the gospel in other countries are people from those other countries. You and me, if we want to go to Pick a country. Ukraine. Ukraine. We want to go to Ukraine. First, we need to learn the language. But even before we learn the language, we have to raise support. So one to two years of raising support. Now, there are exceptions to that, but typically it's one to two years. Then you go over and you spend two years in language school. Then... You have to come back to the states on furlough to raise more money for the people that have dropped support. Then year five, you actually go to the Ukraine and now you're beginning to make inroads. Does this make sense? Now, God calls some people to go overseas. And you know what? If that's God's call and this is the route, awesome. Do it. Because each of us is called to be obedient to Christ. Whatever He calls us to do, whether it makes no sense, like my grandfather and his friends going in, now we look back from this vantage point and we say, well, what a triumph. Then they were saying, what a tragedy. How many of you have heard of John Chow? John Chow. Nobody? One person? John Chow was with all nations. He went to reach the Sinhalese Indians off the, on an island off the coast of India in 2018. He had spent nine years preparing. He goes 
and he gets killed. There's a movie that just came out about it, made from a secular point of view, saying essentially the Great Commission is, we shouldn't be doing that. But John Chow was inspired by this story. We don't know the next chapter yet. But what we do know is this. That there will be people from the Sinhalese Indians who are worshipping before God's throne. We know because the Bible says so. How he wants to do that? But John Chow was being obedient. Whether it makes sense to the world, doesn't really matter. We're called to obey God. Period. Alright. So back on this. The best people to share the gospel are people in Ukraine. Why? They know the language, they know the culture, they know the people, they know all even the nuances of the culture. I was in um, Nigeria. And we had been invited over. It was like all Nigerian missionaries. So, people who were indigenous to Nigeria. They had invited like 4,000, figuring 1,000 would show up. We were the only outside ministry invited. 8,000 came. And they wanted to have a snap with us. We call that a picture or a photo. We stepped out of the church building, out of the chapel. We step out and like they swarmed to us because we were the two white people. And they wanted to snap with us. And they're smiling and laughing until they get in the picture. And then they're straight faced. We're like, what is going on? Like here in the U.S., you know, you want a picture, you're going to smile, you're going to, whatever. Straight face. And I remember that in a lot of the trainings that we've done around the world, like they don't smile at graduation when they have the certificate and all that. And so I asked our host, I said, everybody comes up, they're laughing, they're smiling, and then they get in the picture, and it's like they're sad. Like, what is that about? And they said, oh, you see, a photo is a very serious thing. For you to take a photo with them, if they would, were, would smile, they're making light. And I'm like, by that time I had traveled to more than 50 countries. I would consider myself very multicultural. I've lived in West Africa, I've lived in South America, had no idea. All of a sudden it makes sense. But the people from Ukraine, they know even the nuances of a culture like that. Now, regardless, even if we know the language, even if we look like the people, we're called to be obedient to the, to the commission that Christ has given us. And it's to make disciples. Now, does this illustration make some sense? Yes. Now, here's some bad news. There's not 100,000 long-term foreign evangelical missionaries. There's between 53 and 59,000 
long-term foreign evangelical missionaries. 90% of which are going to countries that are considered reached. Only 10% are going to countries that are considered unreached. Now, another statistic. And this, by the way, I have some uh, rack cards up here. The five principles that we're about to go over and some of the statistics are on that rack card. You're welcome to take one afterwards. Out of every $100,000 that the Christians in the U.S. make, okay? So we combine all of our incomes, divide by 100000 So if you take the, the Christian population, only Christians were surveyed, and for every $100,000 that Christ followers in this country make, $107 goes to missions. That is one-tenth of one percent. Out of that $107, only $1 goes to reach unreached people groups. That's the three billion. So that means one one-hundredth of one-tenth of one percent of what we as the church makes in the U.S. goes to this. For me, like, ah, really? But yet there's a war going on. And we're not engaged in the battle. Here or in what we send overseas. And I'm not, I'm not saying you. You may be the exception to the rule. But this is what we're seeing. So, how do we, if we're going to go overseas and have a long-term, maybe it's a, maybe it's a short-term trip, but a long-term sustainable impact, we have five principles. And we're going to go over this now. And each one has a video assigned to it. And then at the end, I'm going to show you a video that says, this is what can result when we do God's will, God's way. With me? All right. Principle number one, learn to listen. And again, these are all on the rack card, so if you get a rack card, certainly take notes. I like to see it. But these are on here as well. Learn to listen. So my wife and I have been married for 26 years. Um, early on in our marriage, she would come and she would just share a problem that she was having. Well, I'm a man. And as she's sharing the problem, I have a three-step solution to fix the problem. Men, can I get an amen? But what I did not realize at that time is she didn't want me to fix the problem. She just wanted me to identify with where she was in that problem. Ladies, can I get an amen? If you're not married, you will understand one day. In fact, there's a YouTube video. Woman with a nail in her head. How many of you have seen it? That. Gentlemen, if you're not married, watch that before you get married. It's reality. Learn to listen. See, my wife doesn't want me to fix her problems. She wants me to identify 
with her inner problems. And you know what? Our brothers and sisters around the, the world, short-term missions for a long time has gone to try to fix their problems. We are bad. We are good fixers in the U.S. But we're not good listeners. We think, well, we have resources and we have technology and we have all these things. Therefore, we must be superior. Therefore, we must go and fix them. Hmm. My wife doesn't want to be fixed. She just wants me to listen and identify with her in the problem. Um, this video that I'm going to show you is a guy who is a second or third generation missionary, I think third, to Paraguay. Now he's a pastor in Orlando because he's turned the ministry over to indigenous leaders. Um, this guy's name is Mike. That's, is that playing through the... It's part of our uh, worldview makeup as North Americans. Uh, I can't speak for other countries per se, but in, in the U.S., we're, we're very much problem solvers. And especially if somehow it benefits us in the long run. Uh, it's, just, it's just part of this nationalism that we, <laughs> we, um, we're, we, we, we have. And we, we take that wherever we go. Um, so in short-term missions... We're not even trying to. We, we go and see what, what the people need and what they're lacking. And, and it's based on my assumptions. Uh, an example I've given in the past is, is we who in a Western society walk around with shoes on and name brand Nikes. You know, you, you, you name a whole bunch of well-popular names that, that, that might have a price tag added to it. Um, uh, we're, that's the... What, what we're accustomed to, we go overseas into a context where we see children walking barefoot. We say, this is bad. Uh, this, this is a problem. We need to solve it. So we're going to find ways of solving that and, and provide shoes. When in reality, um, walking barefoot is not a bad thing. And in that context, uh, it's... <laughs> It's quieter when you're walking in the woods. You're able to hunt. Um, I've been on hunting trips with my friends, and they all kind of look over their shoulder at me in, in uh, really unhappy because I've got these shoes, clomp, 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 you know, and I'm cracking on, on, on uh, snapping twigs, and then they're quietly, stealthily walking through the woods barefoot with cow's feet. So we often look at barefoot as, 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 as an evil that we have to fix. But in reality, that, that's not even a problem. It never was a problem. So we're providing solutions for things that aren't even a problem. Really. But then if we're listening to the same individuals that are walking barefoot, if we're listening to them, we begin hearing what they feel really is a problem. That's that's where the rubber meets the road, where we can actually become what I what I call a facilitator or someone who empowers the locals to to problem solve. Uh, this this is part of coaching as well. You help the individual uh, sort through what the issues are that they're facing and and some ideas as to how to overcome. But the the solution itself usually 
uh, it comes in the mind of the, the local, saying, "Oh, now yes, now I understand how I can how I can overcome this issue." Hey, by the way, can you help train me to do that? Uh, uh, of course, the answer is yes, absolutely. Let's walk together through this. That's where short-term missions is headed, and it needs to go. Learn to listen. We need to listen to local churches around the world that we're going to partner with and give them the freedom to say no. We have trained local churches around the world and ministries around the world that if they say no, funding dries up. Oh, you don't need our team to come? Well, then you don't need our money either. We'll go Play somewhere else. Learn to listen. The next one. When we learn to listen, we will understand the need from their point of view, not from ours. I'm going to just tell you briefly a story. I'm going to skip over a couple of videos because you need to see a couple other videos And we're running out of time and I want to leave time for questions. In fact, we'll probably just see the last video. A friend of mine went years ago to Jamaica. And they saw squatty potties. So what they decided to do is they said what they need is Western style latrines. So they brought a lot of professionals who have never built a toilet system before. Took them over to Jamaica and built a western style latrine while the locals who needed work sat and watched them. Why? Because they didn't understand the need that the indigenous people have. Do you know who understands the needs of the indigenous? The indigenous. Because they're there all the time. They understand the needs that the people have day in and day out. When we listen, then we understand. And the listen again, it's the hardest step. Because we want to fix a problem. And we don't have the time. This methodology, these principles, cost more than going and building a building. They cost more than going and doing something that you think that they really need. Because you have to go and just listen to them first. And international travel is not getting cheaper. Let me skip over this video. We need to understand the need through their eyes. Number three. Once we've listened and we understand their need, then we need to build on what they have. They need to own it from the start. They need to have skin in the game. If we do everything and pay for everything and who owns it? We do. Now, we don't. We never ask them to do more than what they are able to do. But we think, oh man, um, they don't have any money. I've heard that 20 times. They don't have any money. Pull out your cell phone. Pull out your cell phone. Hold it up. Somebody. Everybody. Do you know what? If there's a photo opportunity anywhere in the world... They all do just what you do. They pull out their smartphone. 
There may not be internet signal there, but they have a phone. There is not a cell phone company in the world that gives away a phone or minutes and data for free. It just They just don't do it. It's not that they don't have resources. It's just the prioritization of the resources. And it may take them longer than it would take us. $100 to most of us in the room, unless you're in college, is like, it's not going to like cause you to go bankrupt. Like You wouldn't even miss it, most of us. Around the world, $100 is a lot of money. But they can't do it. It may just take them longer. And we normally don't ask them to put in money, but they can plan our, they can help with the food, they can plan our travel in country, make sure we have a, you know, a reasonable place to sleep, even though I've slept in a lot of unreasonable places in the world. But they have to have a skin in the game so that they own it. Make sense so far? Alright. Principle number four. Once we've done the first three, then we go and train them. We don't go and do for them. We go and train them to meet the need that they have identified in their communities. They will allow them to go and meet felt needs as a door opener to share the gospel. They want to share the gospel. But people don't care about what you know until they know that you care. But as King's Pride Hammond in northern Ghana said, he said, once they know that you care, you can speak truth into their lives and they will listen. So we go and train. What do we go and train in? Maybe it's one of the things that we train in. We train in medical, dental, optometry, film, farm, and mechanical. That's what we train in. Maybe you don't have any of those skills. Maybe you're something else. Although probably here, you're probably in the first two. Man, go and train them. Take the skills that God has given you and go and give that to them. Train them so that they can utilize that as a door opener for the gospel. And realize this. Low intelligence or sorry, low technology does not equate to low intelligence. Low technology does not equal low intelligence. This is uh, this video um, is Francis Bucacci with Hope Alive Initiatives. We're not going to watch it. He's walking around here. Right now he has a session. His wife Pamela has a session. Charlie Vinodeau, um has a session. Who is the former missions pastor here. But he, he says in this, the key tra- of transformation in a community is the local church. We have to work through Christ followers. We don't train anybody that's not a Christ follower. And we want them to be a mature Christ follower. Because it doesn't matter if people die with good teeth or bad teeth, with a lot of problems or not a lot of problems. It does matter where they go when they die. Right? And so we're trying to equip the indigenous church to go into the communities, places where you and I can't even go. And you'll see that video at the end.
Principle number five. Follow up. Follow up. A friend of mine in uh, Uganda said it this way. He said, look, come and train us. Then, after you leave, we will put that into practice and then come back and polish our skills. Make sure we're doing things right. And then, go somewhere else because we don't need you anymore. How great would that be if that was actually what we would do? Go, train them, go back, polish their skills, follow up, and then go somewhere else. Mm, Nine minutes. We're going to be okay. Here's what this results in. It results in walking together in humility for the sake of the three billion who have never heard. As we walk together in humility with our indigenous brothers and sisters from around the world, man, it it requires humility on our part and on their part. But you know what? The mission is not about you. It's not about them. It's about Him. We can think that we're doing all of these great things for Christ. He's saying, just be obedient. Just do my will, my way. And it requires humility. This is where Charlie you know, talks about coming and seeing iTech or Teach to Transform or Empower or Fame. These groups that are training others and then training them how to train. So that ultimately the trainers are the indigenous, not us. The only exception to that is in our, our uh, dental training. We always take professionals because it's very invasive. You know, we focus so often on on where we're different rather than on where we're the same. You know, we go to a church and, well, they do wine instead of grape juice. Even though they may have that option. Well, we can't go there. And over here, well, their music is yeah, it's just not right. Whether it's with drums or without drums or whatever it is, right? And we go over here and then, well, their pastor, he preaches for like more than 25 minutes. Who can sit that long and understand anything? And we focus on so many ways where we're different. We have so many excuses on why we can't do whatever. Well, they're reformed and we're not and therefore... You know what? None of us are probably right. And it's not a hill to die on. There are hills to die on. There is one God. There is one Savior. There is one Spirit. There is one body. And there is one mission. If we together could focus on that. I don't know how many people are in this room. Jesus had twelve. He knew one would betray him. He trained 11 men. And we are sitting here today because He did. And He commanded them, go and do what I've done. It's not a short process. It's going to take you longer. It's going to cost you more. But obedience always almost does. Right? My dad would always say, if you have a decision, 
One that's easy, one that's hard, almost always the hard one is the right one. But you want to know what it results in, right? That's, that's Charlie. Hang on. It's coming right here.
When we left to come to the States, he left to go back to his country. Uh, my partner had told us of a story of how one of the students that we had just trained in medical just days before, um, he was reaching out to a local uh, tribe that was unreached, um, no uh, believers at all that we were aware of, uh, but he took the medical training that, that he had received and used that as a door opener to the gospel and um, heavily uh, Islamic area, um, pretty hostile to the gospel. The medical skills got his foot in the door and throughout his, his time in that village that particular day, many uh, were interested spiritually. So the medical training got his foot in the door and then they shared the Jesus film with that village uh, of about there were about 300 people in attendance. The village has about 2,000 people. Uh, but of the 300 or so that watched the Jesus film that evening, 164 received Christ and were baptized. That's not an easy thing for a Muslim to decide to turn from, from being a Muslim to being a Christ follower. And 164 from the efforts of of some very obedient missionaries and evangelists. Was, that was the highlight of my training. Two thousand Muslims in one day by teaching some basic hygiene and first aid. A hundred and sixty four people. Come to know the Lord and are baptized. That's why we're here. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. That is the mission. But you know what? That guy was from the country we went to and he was being serving as a missionary in the neighboring country. You and I couldn't even get there. Man, if we do God's will, God's way, empowering them, not creating dependency, giving them training that is self-sustaining, then people will come to know the Lord. That's all I got. Um, I'm certainly happy. If time is up, I was sure that I was going to be done early. But I'm happy to stay here and answer questions as long as you would like. So, um, there are some brochures there if you want to know more about what we do. And the rack cards are up here. Um, Rebecca has the uh, brochures. She'll put them up here or back there as you walk out. Thanks for coming.